Well, hello, everybody. I want to welcome you to another edition of Beyond the Cover. Very, very excited today to be speaking with best-selling author Karen Slaughter talking about her latest book, The Last Widow. It is a Will Trent and uh, Sarah Linton series, and it's gotten fabulous reviews. Wonderful book. Comes out in August. The actual date actually is um, August 20th, so make sure if you ever, however you buy books, it will be available in that format. So, Karen, we want to thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to have you on again to talk about your latest book, The Last Widow. This one, this one here, you've got a lot of stuff happening uh, in this book. Poor Atlanta is what I've got to say for this one. Um, <laughs> so tell everybody a little bit about what you've got going on. Well, you know, it's hard to talk about without giving too much away. Sure. Um, but I can't say something really bad happens. And uh, <laughs> Sarah and Will have to figure out why and who done it and all that stuff. And there's, yeah. you know, there's sex and violence and all that stuff, so that's good. Yeah, and, and like I said, poor Atlanta, what you yeah. did to that, to that poor city. Was it just one of those nights you were like, you know what, I just feel like just ransacking at this time? <laughs> well, yeah, I do live in uh, John Lewis's rat-infested uh, district, oh. so, you know, props to that. Um, yeah. you, you know, uh, I, uh, I think that I don't want to say this like I – want it to happen because I absolutely do not mm-hmm. but it just feels like we're about ready for a horrible act of domestic terrorism to kind of shake people up and you know normally in my books I try not to rip things from the headlines and I try not to be too prescient because sure. um, I think that takes people out of the story but I started thinking about the idea for this book five years ago and it does I mean I don't think it's giving too much away to say it, it starts with a violent act of domestic terrorism. Um, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody that this is on a lot of people's minds. You know, the director of the FBI has said repeatedly he worries about domestic terrorism above everything else that could affect Americans and threaten the lives of Americans. And when I was thinking of this story, it was actually about four or five years ago. So it was before the election. It was just a response to reading a lot of stories in the newspaper and watching a lot of front lines. I love front line on PBS and just thinking, holy crap, you know, we're really at this inflection point where white supremacists are feeling mobilized and energized in a way that they haven't since, you know, the 1970s. Yeah, uh, I said, you know, I told my wife and we talk all the time and we're saying that, you know, it just feels like another kind of civil war is, is about to kind of happen. And when you kind of, you know, see how you've been able to kind of put this into a book and almost make it that something like this, like you said, could happen at any time, at anywhere, like an earthquake. You just never know when it's going to strike. What kind of emotions kind of flooded you, though, with the reality of something like this? Not, not, not specifically this, but something like this could happen and what it, the ramifications that could come from it. Well, you know, I think like a lot of Americans, it's it's becoming so commonplace that it's no longer shocking. You know, sure. it's just, so I approach it with a sense of dread and a sense of helplessness and then anger because we are the greatest country on earth. We put a freaking man on the moon. We can't address this problem. I mean, when we were attacked on 9-11, the next day the president is saying we are going to you know we're going to fight this we are not going to let this defeat us and now we have 
school shootings. We have all kinds of senseless mass shootings, and people just throw up their hands. It's like, when did we stop solving problems? I just don't understand. And just from a, a very base level, terrorism is not effective in the Western world. I mean, I, I can't speak to the Middle East because I, I don't, you know, I'm not there. I've never, I've been close, but I haven't been in the middle of things. But, you know, we have these things happen. We still have food festivals. We still go to the library. We still go to shopping malls. We still go to concerts. It's the same in Europe, you know. People are still walking down the Champs-Élysées. They're, they're still going about their lives. So these are temporary interruptions. They're horrible losses of life. I mean, it's horrific. It's violent. The families lose loved ones. All of that happens. But it doesn't fundamentally change the way we live our lives. So it's not a very effective way to change things. So you have to say, well, what are they, what are they trying to accomplish? And I think they're just freaking angry. You know, most of these, yeah. they're young men. They're white men. They become radicalized on the Internet. They, they look at the world and they say, why don't I rule the world? Why don't I have the American dream? Why don't I have, you know, this, this broad sense of entitlement about what's owed to them? Mm-hmm. And they get angry, and because we have such loose gun laws, they can find all kinds of guns and ammunition and go out and do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely something that you... You know what, it's something that's scary in the fact because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in the civil rights and I didn't see, and I was, you know, I was raised in the suburbs and everything else. So a lot of these things I didn't ever have to experience until I kind of see them now when I get older and I'm not 18 and I'm like, oh, I actually want to pay attention to what's going on in the world nowadays. <laughs> yeah. So, but when, when, when you decided to kind of, like you said, you know, you had this story in your mind for about four years but now when you actually put it on the paper and then you kind of went back and you read it and you see it, how impactful is it to you now personally that it's actually out? Well, you know, it, it, it's meaningful to me anytime I have a book come out because that's my story. It's something I spent years working on and, you know, I'm always eager to see that my readers like it. That's very important to me. I'm, I'm not so caught up in what critics say because critics been a critic. But, you know, my actual readers who've been reading my books all along, I really want them to be happy. And so, you know, with a book like this, I think a lot of people were really happy to get back to Will and Sarah. They enjoyed the story. The pacing of it is really something I worked carefully on because I wanted to read very quickly. Um, And I have a lot of uh, nuts and bolts kinds of things going on, you know, especially in the opening chapters. Uh, and hopefully that feels seamless to them as they read and it just pulls them into the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask, because the pacing is something, uh, so it, th- th- that was definitely a conscious effort that you were, that, that you were making sure that you had, because mm-hmm. I noticed Absolutely. that that was definitely something that, that, that caught my attention. Well, you know, especially when you're talking about terrorism, the thing that makes it frightening is it's, it's the same thing that makes all crime frightening is you don't anticipate it, right? Mm-hmm. No one goes to the grocery store and thinks, I'm going to be raped today or I'm going to come home and my house is going to be burgled or, you know, I'm going to get in an awful car accident. No one really, you know, wakes up thinking those things will happen to them. You know, they think, okay, well, this might happen in the world. But 
that's what I try to do. So there's, you know, the book opens the way most of my books open. It's a completely normal scene. Sarah's uh, at her aunt's house. Her mom's cooking Sunday dinner. She's starving. She's getting nagged at. Then, you know, we have that her her perception of what's going on. Then we get to Will and we see what he's thinking. And you know, there's this really literally earth-shaking event that happens. This act of domestic terrorism right down the road from them. And you know, then we cut to Faith, and the, the she's at a meeting when this happens. And you know, the thing is, I, I take very great care to make their lives seem ordinary before the bad things happen, because that's exactly how it is. Mm-hmm. Now, when, and of course, you know, you have the Will Trent series, you have the Grant County series, along with some standalones. So. How do you kind of decide, okay, you know what, this is the idea I'm going to do, and it's going to work better for Will or Grant or Standalone. Is that kind of what gets you back at the typewriter each time? Uh, you know, I still, I'm going to say typewriter, uh, word processor, whatever you want to call it. So is that what gets you back there, is it, or is it the excitement to see the characters again, or is it the idea of what you're going to do, and then you're going to say whether or not it's going to be Standalone, Will Trent, Grant County. How does that kind of work? Well, generally the idea leads who's going to be telling it. And honestly, for me, the idea and who tells the story form at the same time. You know, when I'm writing something like Pieces of Her or The Good Daughter, where there's this, the scope of it would take, take it outside of a procedural. You know, like in The Good Daughter, I wanted a family of lawyers to tell the story. In Pieces of Her, I wanted to work on a mother and daughter telling their story. So it was it, it was just the story dictated how it would be told. And for this, you know, I knew there would be a lot of action. I knew there would be a lot of procedural drive to the plot. And that just, you know, works out to be a Will story because Will is very procedural in, in the storytelling that I do with him. And, you know, Sarah being the medical examiner and this was an opportunity for me to actually put her in the middle of the action, which she very seldom gets. You know, right. I, I made a, a conscious effort early on that Sarah would be like a real medical examiner, and they're never out in the field chasing the bad guys, right? I mean, they're right. there when they get the body, and then they do their work and they give their report, but they're not carrying guns and running around uh, in high heels. Uh, in lab coats like they are on television. Mostly it's just paperwork and talking through the case and going to court. So, you know, this was a story I thought I could do something different with Sarah. I could put her in a great amount of jeopardy. And I could have her do something that she's never done before because up until this point she's always been very helpful. You know, she's a doctor. She cares about people a great deal. And now I put her in a position where not only does she want to not help people, she wants to actively try to hurt them physically. How do you think she liked it? Do you think Sarah liked doing it? I think she loved it. <laughs> I mean, except for being in an awful situation. I think that she was up to the challenge. And, yeah. you know, when I wrote about Sarah in Grant County, I was very conscious of the fact that her life had changed drastically because of a criminal act. She was in, living in Atlanta she had just gotten in a, a fellowship to do pediatric surgery, which was what she really felt her calling was, and then she was violently raped. And her response to that was just to go home and live a life that wasn't the life she had planned for herself, but that felt safe. And so, you know, some bad things happened in Grant County, and she's back in Atlanta, and she's 
she's more living that life she had envisioned for herself when she was a young girl, you know, that she would live in a big city, that she would have this responsibility, um, run a department and help people and be really um, kind of part of the puzzle solving of, of, of detecting and figuring out crimes and investigations. Mm-hmm. Now, do you ever kind of let the comments, and, and I know that you have um, current events, of course, you know, lead into, you know, some of the story, but do you ever look at the comments and the things that people say, whether it's social media and whatnot, and have that kind of creep into your head when you're writing, or do you just block all that out, don't read any of it, and don't care about it? Yeah, I, well, I mean, those are different things. Because I do read it and I do care, you know, mm-hmm. that people have opinions. I think they have a right to them. But I am never, ever, ever going to write something because I read it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. I'm just, that's, my book is my book. And I know exactly what the characters are going to do and how they're going to express themselves and how the plot works. And so I'm never going to be in a position where I read something and say, oh, I, you know, it looks like people enjoy this. I should incorporate that more into the books. Because I, honestly, I don't think people are really good at articulating what they want. I mean, they want a good story that surprises them. And if I give them what they say they want on Facebook, it's not going to be good or surprising. True. Yeah. But, and I think I think some of the things I think you see some authors really kind of take that stuff to heart and I think interact a little bit too much and I'm always like, dude, do not upset the crazies because they're always going to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. There are a lot of crazy people out there, but you know, mostly my my social media is about showing pictures of my cats and making yeah. fun of people, right? So it's not. Yeah, I mean, how can you be? A, you can't hate cats. The cats. Right. Exactly. I love cats. Right, but you know, and I, I, I do. I tell people, I'm like, just don't upset the crazies because you never know what's going to set them off, and then it's not stoppable, and then you just mm-hmm. have to shut stuff down and go away, and and this and that. And it's like, remember, this is about entertainment. Yeah, <laughs> in some no, ways. No, and I so. don't want to upset anybody. You know, I'm not going to put politics. You can pretty much figure out my politics from what I write, but I'm not going to blast people on online because I just don't think that's the forum for me. I mean, it works for some other people, but I just don't feel that way. Yeah. Are you, uh, well, how's your conference uh, schedule and, and things looking this, for this book? Uh, are you going to be doing a lot of appearance, uh, appearances coming out for The Lost Widow? I am. You know, it's on my website, but I think I'm going to 12 different cities starting Ooh, August 20th. So, yeah, they've got quite a bit. I'm jumping around every single day. There's a different city. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Some of the stores I'm going to, I've been going to for a while, uh, like Poison Pen in Arizona. So it'll it'll be nice to see the old group that usually comes see me uh, yeah. and catch up with them. Do you get a lot of... Um do you get a lot of email responses back? Do you have a lot of good fan interaction that, that always kind of, you know, want to know what's going on inside your head? And, and, you know, do you respond back to those personally, or do you just try to, you know, answer questions, I guess, like FAQs and things like that to just try to answer more broad questions for fans? Well, I respond to every email that comes in. And a lot of times, you know, people don't read the FAQs, but that's all right. And, but the thing is it takes me a really long time to respond Mm-hmm. I think the longest was ever took was about six months, <laughs> but that's just something I do when I have when I'm at an airport or I have free time or you know I'll think okay I gotta 
go look at my um, emails from my website or go on Goodreads or whatever and just check in and, you know, make sure people are getting responses. But it is a bit onerous because, you know, think about the fact that I'm not just published in America. I'm published in almost 40 different languages. Yeah. So that's a lot of different countries and people. You know, I, I can only do what I can do with Google Translate and what little time I have. But but I think it's important if they take the time to write to me, I'm going to write back. Just understand it's not going to be within an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, you know, and I think that they'd probably rather have another book than probably yeah. an email. But but you never know. You never, you never know. know. With, yeah. With people, I mean, if if you're answering emails and if you spend like two minutes on everybody's email and you're getting a thousand and it's like that, it's two thousand minutes. That, that's just one day. Like I have no time in the day to keep answering, you know, everybody's email all the time. But I'm surprised yeah. you have somebody just look at it for you. Heck, uh, <laughs> be like, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like uh, something shouldn't be jobbed out. I mean, I have I have um, like standard answers I give people. I would say about 50, almost 60% is just saying, hey, what are the books in order? And, you know, that's that's not hard. I have a macro. I just put, press that in and, you know, oh, it's cool. easy. Yeah. Because a lot of people – so – and I, and I was talking about this. A lot of people do like to go back. Like, let's say someone is just finding you out for the first time with The Lost Widow, and then they pick it up. People do like to go back and kind of go to Triptych and go to Fractured and Undone and, and all of those books and, and kind of do read them in order. But you do write them as as part of like a standalone kind of thing. So they can jump around, maybe read the back of the book, right, and kind of get an idea, hey, I like this topic and I want to jump into this one next. Oh, absolutely. And, I'm, you know, as a standalone, I think The Last Widow works really well because if you've never read anything in the series, it immediately catches you up. You know, one of the great things about getting more books under my belt is I'm not precious about details, and I, I learned many, many books ago. I don't have to tell you everything about Will and Sarah for you to understand who they are. If you want a right. deeper understanding, you can go back and you can read previous books, but if you just want to enjoy this book, I'm going to give you the information to do that very quickly, and I'm going to make sure that people who have already read every single Will and Sarah will find new things about them that are interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, like you said, in The Lost Widow, you really kind of, you, you know, pacing and this and that. Is there anything else that when you sat down you were like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to focus a little bit more on dialogue or, you know, maybe like more descriptive scene settings or more emotionally interaction between the characters? Did you have any of that that you were trying to, like, really work on um, that you wanted to kind of bring out? No, not really. I mean, that that stuff is the stuff that comes naturally to me. It was more, you know, that the opening handful of chapters, part of the, part of them deal with a bunch of time shifts, right? So you get the same scene from three, or the same event from three different perspectives. And that was a real uh, technical challenge as a writer to figure out how to put all those pieces together and, and say, okay, well, at what point do we have Will come in and give his perspective? At what point does Faith give her perspective? Where is the tension going to come from? Because you know this bad thing happens at this time, and now Faith's in a meeting, and it's before that time. So, you know, just figuring out those things, and then doing the, the same thing at the end, where I have these three different characters giving three different perspectives in three different time frames. So it was that was the technical aspect for me. But 
you know, the emotional stuff, all those highs and lows, that's what I think about in my head before I write. So, so last kind of question. What are, you, uh, what are you streaming right now? Is there something? Is there a really good show or something that you're like into binge-watching that you can't get away from? Um, well, yes and no. So I just finished Sneaky Pete, which I felt oh, okay. a little annoyed with because the, the episodes are shorter now. I watch them on the treadmill, and uh-huh. I try to do an hour and a half a day. And okay. so it's hard when, it, when the show is only like 40 minutes. I get really annoyed. It needs to be at least 50-something so I can watch a couple. <laughs> it's so that's my that. only complaint about Sneaky Pete. I'm really looking forward to the Netflix. Um, I don't remember what it's called, but it's got Katie Sackhoff in it, and she was in uh, Battlestar Galactica okay. uh, as, um, as um, Starbucks. So I'm really looking forward to that. And the new season of Orange is the New Black. I'm like, I'm like a total Netflix hog. And that's the last one, right? Isn't that the last excited. season of that show? It is, yeah. And I hear yeah. it's really, really great. Okay. And that's going to come out, I know, soon. I know my daughters and wife, they always, it comes on and it's like, okay, leave me alone for a weekend. And then there you go. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, no problem. Just as long as there's sports on, I'm good to go. You got me. <laughs> yeah. We're comfortable well, on that one. Well, um, I did, uh, I, I am aware that when I, the day I come back, college football starts. So I'm trying to get all my binging in. Um, but I, I will say that Fleabag is amazing. It is one of the most amazing shows I've ever seen. Really? Yeah, it is so. You got to give it three episodes, which really annoys me because okay. I, I always say, you know, you shouldn't have to give it three episodes, but it is so worth it. Okay, I saw the I saw the commercials for it. I haven't jumped into that. One. My daughter did give me the one. I guess she saw the article of like the most scary show ever on Netflix. I guess it's like an for a show from India mm-hmm. that I haven't seen yet, but it's like called like Typewriter or something to that effect. I think it's called Typewriter. I don't know if you heard about that one, but it's supposed to be this really sadistic kind of horror kind of thing on Netflix. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll check that one out. Yeah. All yeah. right. Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah. 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 There you go. Because I, like, I like horror. I, do like the, I just don't like the gore, but I do mm-hmm. love to be scared. I do like to get into those ghost story things and think that someone's going to break into my house at night and, and you know, do a Richard Ramirez. I don't know why I find that so enticing, but I do for some weird reason. Huh. Well, I hear the Nightingale is really fantastic. It's oh, okay, be, yes, yeah, I did. I did start film. that one. That one was. That one was. That, that was a good one. Yes, yes. Stephen oh. James and I, if you know Stephen James, author, we always and Dennis um, and Dennis Ponzinari, you know Heather Graham's husband. Mm-hmm. We're we're like three horror junkies, and we kind of you know email back and forth <laughs> for like horror stuff to try to find different horror things for each other. Really weird, um, but yeah. But Karen, hey. I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, of course, to talk to you. Love the book, The Lost Widow. Congratulations. Um, can't wait to see what you got coming up next. Can you give people a little taste what, what series you're going to have next after this one? Yeah, it's uh, another Will and Sarah, and it's my 10th Will Trent and my 20th book, so I'm really excited about it. Hey, look at two milestones, 10 and 20 yeah. right there. Exactly. All right. Well, Karen, hey, again, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your, enjoy the rest of your day. And we will see you soon. Great. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye.